Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Life is a highway and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Achtung, achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk USA with me, Al Murray, James Holland and John McManus. Um, uh, it, it'll mean nothing to the listener, but uh, this has taken some <laughs> doing, p- pulling this together, hasn't it? Um, today's podcast. because I feel exhausted. Just so I've had one of those days where I had to take my mother to a hospital appointment this morning. That's, that's always a treat. Um, uh, she left. She lost her handbag, so I had to go and find that. And then, and then I had to go back in Salisbury, then back out of Salisbury again. Got home, find the electricity off. Did manage to get into the Chalk Valley History Festival office. Sort of working now, but it's been a traumatic day. You talk oh, well. about improvise, adapt, and overcome. I mean, yeah, exactly. That's Jim Holland, exactly. Yeah, and Al, <laughs> you've had your studio out for yeah, my much whole of home studio. Yeah, Fritz this afternoon for some for some reason, but it's working again now. So, so, uh, 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 John, have you had any minor mishaps or calamities in the run-up? You know, to this? I'm almost, I'm leery about saying anything because no, I haven't. But the second I say that, <laughs> who knows? Uh, right. That's funny. right now, um, uh, today, what, what are we, what are we going to talk about today, chaps? Well, today we got uh, Eisenhower as war leader. I, I mean, I, I just think. I mean, we're talking World War Two and we, yep. you know, we're looking at uh, the European theater a little bit and I, you just can't escape some kind of discussion of Eisenhower's impact on this whole thing. He is yep. really sort of the towering figure and, yep. and 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 especially kind of as an international coalition figure. And it's it's not really just a one off. I, I think, you know, looking back on it now. Um, especially from a U.S. perspective, mm. Eisenhower is the first of many who will follow of key U.S. military leaders leading a major Western coalition that eventually be called NATO, mm. which I think we'd all agree is of some level of importance to this day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, you know, and that means things from an American perspective in the sense of the U.S. willing to do this, uh, to make that kind of commitment. And so Eisenhower sort of being in charge is a recognition, I think, that the the U.S. is going to be just a a key superpower in the future, um, but also is going to begin to to use the blood and sacrifice, um, you know, to to secure Europe and many other places, too, of course, too. But but so Eisenhower is, is kind of the trailblazer in this respect. And if there's a different kind of person in his slot, I don't know that it could have succeeded. So imagine you had Patton in, in his <laughs> job, for instance, <laughs> Patton, yeah. who seemed to hate everything British for whatever yeah. reason, you know, and that's going to unravel a lot of relationships. Yeah. Did you, do you, do you think, John, that, um, that there is anyone else who could have, I mean, you, I mean, Pat, Patton's a sort of the, the example in extremists, isn't it? That you can, you can, you could draw, but it, is it, is the, is it that Eisenhower is unique? Is it that um, the U S army is, you know, at its highest level, is producing people of this quality, and with this, and with this quality of being able to work together with people who, you know, he isn't necessarily going to see eye to eye, it, 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 or is it him? Is it the system, or is it him? I think it's uh, to some extent the system, because I do think there are other people who who probably could have done it pretty well, mm. but I think he's the best fit. Um, yeah. But the problem with the other folks who could have done it well, they're not quite at the at the level that he is in terms of c- 
career experience and rank. And I, and what I mean by that, I think George Marshall probably could have done the job yeah. reasonably well, but it would have been kind of a step down for him. Uh, I think looking back on it now, I think Matthew Ridgeway could have done the job very, very well mm. because he will. Um, yeah. But that's a few years in the future. Right now, he's a division commander in uh, uh, an 18th. And there are, there are other generals, aren't there? There are other brilliant generals who are good sort of team men who you know, have a similar sort of experience. I mean, it's interesting because you've got, you've got a lot of people of that age group all sort of coming to the fore at exactly the same time, inevitably. And it's it's one of those sort of sliding doors moments, isn't it? You know, Eisenhower just happens to have caught the right eyes at the right time in the 1930s. And he just happens to have been the right person. You know, he's got Marshall kind of um, watching his back and uh, and so on. But I mean, you know, it it could have been Eichelberger. It could have been Simpson. It it could have been Ridgeway. All of the above, and and you know, and, and I think especially Eichelberger. And I say that because Eichelberger had been part of a multinational effort as a younger officer, the Polar Bear Expedition. Yeah, uh, you know, during the Russian Civil War, when the Western Allies send troops there, Eichelberger had worked with uh, with British, French, Japanese, and he had studied the Japanese, and he had that kind of diplomatic personality that Eisenhower is so famous for, that he's just an impossible person to dislike. Um, yeah, and I think Simpson would have had the people skills for this as well and, and the kind of intellectual heft and savvy. So as I often say, that you know, the U.S. Army in World War II, um, it, it was, you know, large enough to have produced some pretty, pretty um, talented general officers and leaders and whatever, but it was small enough that it wasn't racked by careerism. And, you know, the way that arguably it might become later on, um, you know, especially during the, the Vietnam era so famously. So, mm. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Eisenhower has Eisenhower has been kind of underutilized in terms of his his talent levels for almost a decade plus of his career, maybe two decades. Um, and he's, yeah. he's been sort of under MacArthur's thumb for the better part of seven years or something like that, at least. Yep. Uh, so he's just uh, sort of blossoming and wait, waiting to get out. Um, so it really, what I'm saying about that job that he has, ultimately, it's a diplomatic job as much as anything else. I also wonder whether it could be someone like Tui Spots. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of there or thereabouts, isn't he, as well? You know, he, he gets sent over in 1940. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a kind of diplomatic guy. He gets on pretty mu- pretty well with all the people he comes across in, in, in England and then in the Mediterranean and then back again. You know, and he's right up there in that kind of high echelon of kind of senior commanders, isn't he? Um, and again, he's a, you know, he buys into that kind of diplomacy. We've all got a kind of sort of rub together kind of role. He does. Uh, I think the, the, the problem he would have had is ultimately uh, leading ground forces and and uh, thinking along the lines of ground warfare. Um, Spots has some issues in that respect, but I, I don't think there's any question that relationship wise and in terms of seniority uh he's you know obviously he's highly respected as he should be yeah i mean the, 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 you mentioned you mentioned macarthur earlier i mean he has he, he he there's there's antipathy between them isn't there really so the eisenhower heads to the west is is, is that a byproduct of that or is that a, a um it is yeah oh it absolutely is uh, because eisenhower has served under macarthur for you know many, many years by 1939. And so he has taken steps, whatever he can, to get out of the Philippines. It's a completely <laughs> different world and war if he had stayed. Yeah. I mean, he because he was basically functioning as Eisenhower or MacArthur's chief of staff yeah. by the time he leaves. So imagine if he stays on in that role, he does what Dick Sutherland eventually does. And Dick Sutherland, by the way, loved to brag that he was the one who forced Eisenhower out which I think says a lot more about Sutherland than yeah. Eisenhower. Yeah. <laughs> um, Eisenhower was very happy to be forced out by 1939. And of course, MacArthur never forgave him for that uh, because MacArthur had this sort of weird dynamic with his key subordinates where um, he sort of liked the idea that they were going to grow professionally, but he, he wanted them always under his thumb. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens with Eichelberger. You know, he, he wouldn't let him go quite famously to go to, to Europe to a key command there. And then Eichelberger resents that. And so Eisenhower had gotten away and MacArthur really resented that and and is has this sort of backbiting campaign against him for much of the rest of their lives. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, this is the other thing, too, as long as we're talking about 
war leaders at that level and and working with allies, um, MacArthur was not a particularly good fit for that because he, he was not working well with the Australians early on. And that was really his fault, I think, because he's allowing his um, his some of his uh, staffers and many of his officers to run down the Australians and that, to, you know, that he's not having good productive relationships put together with Herring and, and Blamey and all this kind of stuff initially. And, and so, you know, when you really look at MacArthur's war, most of it, once he's kind of come into his own, he's not really fighting with allies. Yeah. Um, and of course, the occupation of Japan, famously, we're basically freezing out most of our allies there. And it's a U.S. led occupation. So he's a total contrast from Eisenhower in that respect. Would you think Eisenhower's qualities that that that, that um become so important during the war years are sort of that he's he's sort of cut his teeth on this sort of you know having to handle deal with big people like MacArthur because he's got big he's he, he even though he's he's escapes escapes the Philippines he's still got big personality bosses to come and do you think that his time in the Philippines sort of serves him an apprenticeship in that respect in dealing with big difficult people who are going to maybe not care particularly how he feels about stuff because he because he's very good at he's he, you know sort of equanimity in dealing with people who are who are obviously hard work and who are forceful personalities if nothing else you know i mean anyone if you've got to deal with winston churchill you 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 know that does your life's not easy is it so do you think it's the philippines that that, that sort of gives him this quality that the dealing with the macarthur delivers him as as he ends up being to an extent. I, I think it's his best training. And I, I think Eisenhower could have written what would be a bestseller now, how to deal with difficult people. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, Eisenhower was so good at that because he had, you know, he by the time of World War II, he had spent a whole career mostly working for others, not necessarily in command himself. Uh, and he had seen the good and the bad. I mean, Fox Connor was one of his key mentors, and he was really sort of on the good side of the ledger in terms of uh, accountable leadership and thoughtful intellectually and kind of just down to earth. MacArthur, of course, is the contrast. But also the other thing, too, Eisenhower had served as uh, Walter Kruger's chief of staff when Kruger was commander of Third Army. And Kruger was not always an easy guy to work for. He had a very good heart, but he was brusque and rude and and crass in some respects and, you know, not fitted for diplomacy. So Eisenhower had seen, I think, what he liked and didn't like. And he had this, um, what's interesting about him too, he had this volcanic temper uh, that he really succeeded in suppressing through much of his life. But I, so I, I think he was a very strong-willed person who really understood, though, how to adapt and work around and handle different personalities mm. quite well. Mm. I mean, I kind of think the fascinating thing about, I mean, I've been to Abilene in Kansas where he was brought up. I know he was born in Texas, but he was brought up in Abilene. And, you know, it's a kind of sort of, it's still, you know, and this is no offense to Abilene in Kansas at all, but it's still a bit of a kind of one horse town. And and it's, and it must have absolutely been the case in, you know, the first, first years of the 20th century. It is remarkable that, I just don't think that would happen in the British army that someone from such a kind of comparatively humble background would, would would reach so far and there was something kind of instinctive in there about about his his charm his manners his ability to just sort of get on with everyone diplomacy I mean you know traditionally diplomacy is the kind of you know it's a, it's a world of the elites isn't it and I mean sort of you know social elites and you know people who've been to great schools and Harvard and Yale and Cambridge and all this kind of stuff and the Sorbonne etc cetera, etc cetera. You know, everyone can speak multiple languages, and yet, yet he just seems to kind of have the, have this natural flair for it. And it, and it's fascinating once you get to, you know, he gets to get to England. He gets appointed, I think, in June 1942, doesn't he, to sort of take over the build up of American troops. And he goes with his aide, Harry Butcher, who's a kind of sort of a, a kind of an acquaintance he knows, who's in the kind of PR business, and he's given a Butcher's given a kind of a, a, a naval rank and, and becomes his his aid overnight and he's there to kind of be a sounding board and someone to pal around with and chew the cud with and let off steam to and and, and butcher keeps this diary at, at at eisenhower's behest and the diary is just fantastic and i know we've touched on it before but it gives you such an incredible insight to eisenhower's personality and indeed clark's in those early months over in in britain in the summer of 1942 
But he does come across as a kind of terrifically down-to-earth person, but someone with incredible patience, determination, and, of course, tact, because he is constantly being kind of rung up by Churchill at kind of, you know, one in the morning saying, can you come over here now? And and he does it. And it, and, he, and he, everything that gets flung at him, he just seems to take squarely on the chin. And, and, and there is something kind of innate about his skills, isn't there? There is. And, it, and he's just one of these people who's just likable. His demeanor's likable. He seems approachable. He seems down to earth. You remember, he had dealt with brothers. You know, the, I mean, lots of brothers, um, lots of competition there. And, you know, Jim, I agree with you about Abilene. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a, you know, thriving, happening place, you know. But at the same time, there were a lot of ways to develop yourself personally through hard work and, and uh, through resolve. Well, that's the American the way, isn't it? It is. It's 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 interesting because Eisenhower and not just himself, but his brothers, who were all very very successful, um, most notably Milton, you know, who ends up as uh, president of Kansas State, and and really Eisenhower was kind of key, you know, most intimate confidant when he's president. Um, you know, these are this is like what we like to think of the best of America in some respects of of sort of growing up in these humble beginnings yeah. and making the most of your opportunity because to to someone like Eisenhower. West Point was a remarkable opportunity to make something of yourself and to get out of a small town and go yeah. see the world um, and that you didn't have to come from an elite background. Now, of course, as I say that, too, if Eisenhower happened to, to have black skin, now he doesn't have that opportunity yeah. at, at his time. Now, that changes, of course, later, much for the better. Uh, but if you were someone from from his background, and that's a lot of folks yeah. who was poor, hard scrabble, willing to work. Um, you know, and just sort of salt of the earth. There was a lot of good things that could happen for you. And the, and the army represented at Eisenhower, and I think he got that and figured out, too, how to approach different personalities. Like Churchill, you mentioned Churchill, uh, Al. I mean, I think he has an excellent relationship with Churchill just from kind of calling him on his BS sometimes. Yeah. Like, And I think Churchill respected that about him, that, that Eisenhower was – was approachable, malleable, workable, but also very firm. And and I think really that's the key to, yeah. to this entire relationship. Yeah. I mean, it, it, West Point is remarkable for that. I mean, uh, you know, Br- Bradley's a similar case, isn't he? That, that, that yeah. he's from he's from a dirt poor family. And, and the scholarship, you know, that, that you can get that, that, that will hoik you up out of your background and give you this kind of opportunity. And that that class that they're both in, the, the class the stars fell, fell on, the... The graduates of of West Point in 1915 is 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 extraordinary, and and full of people like that. And and as you said earlier, you know the U.S. Army does have this this at the time has this thing where, you know, you can enter it from any level in society, and it'll take you as you are. I mean, uh, if you're white, obviously, and and. Uh, that, that you compare that to the British Army, <laughs> yeah. which well, that was know, sort of my point, really. You know, the British Army is is you know is, is essentially full of full of second sons of of uh, of viscounts and bishops and you know the, the the certainly the British Army brass and certainly the the, the you know the, the crop that Eisenhower then has to deal with, and I think this is also very interesting. The people he then has to deal with are all knobs of the of, of the. Of every strand possible, aren't they, Jim? There, there are no, there's no one from the middle of nowhere, um, in those terms, in British terms, is there, Jim? And and that th- I think it's fascinating that quite well, there's clearly- Viscount Gort, isn't there? And you know, Alex yeah. is from a aristocratic exactly. family. His 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 older brother. Well, maybe Bill Caledon. Bill Slim, but but, but who's He's a teacher? He's a bank teller. Slim's yeah. a bank teller, right? And that's that's yeah. about as humble a background as we're going to have. And a teacher, level, right? and he's yeah. a teacher. Yeah, yeah, but, but, I, think but, still, but I think he's gone to public school, hasn't he? But I think you know, it was private school. But it also reflects, I think, fairly well on the on the British that they obviously they take Eisenhower. They aren't going well. He's just a he's you know who is he? Who is what's this guy's background? They're taking him as he is because because you know they rate West. They must rate West Point. They must rate him. Once they've met him, they certainly do. They, they certainly do end up rating him. Is the truth? He's a sort of seeing his believing person, isn't he? He is, and I, I think that in that sense, the Americans had to prove themselves to their their uh, their British allies, who'd had mm. a lot more experience, of course, at, at war, um, and you know, in professional military circles and whatever. And I think Eisenhower certainly, and many many others do too. The the only one who, to me, and I correct me if, if you think I'm wrong. 
um, who gives off that whiff of, of sort of classism and mm. sort of looking down his nose at Eisenhower and others is Brooke, um, who just strikes me as somebody out of 1850 almost in some levels of saying, well, I guess the colonies are helping us win this war. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, no one seems to measure up to Brooke in terms of greatness in Brooke's mind, I guess. And you look at his diary, it's just, it's such, it's full of such acid kind of uh, um, observations. And it's not as if he's not competent. I'm not saying that, but it just seems as though Eisenhower will never prove himself to Brooke, um, much less Montgomery, who doesn't look down on him from a class standpoint, but from a military proficiency standpoint. Yeah, that's different. I, I, I think that, well, I think there's a podcast to be done on Brooke, which we haven't really done. He he crops up quite a lot. And, and I do wonder whether there's a, there's a time for, you know, he, he he's held in, in, in British circles, he's held in incredibly high esteem. Oh, the highest regard. Um, yeah. The highest, highest, highest regard. Uh, um, but actually, I find your take on that quite refreshing because because he he he, he is cussed and tricky at times and he can be chippy. And, and part of it is... You know, obviously, I've just been looking at all this stuff in Italy and things, and and you know, he he does finger point a lot. He does finger point a lot, and he never says, you know, it was my fault. I've got to have my hand up. You know, I got it wrong. Um, so I think there is a little bit of. Uh, I, I think there is a bit of a, a reappraisal on Brooke, and that's not to kind of denigrate his 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 genius, which is really handling Churchill, which is the kind of single oh, thing for which he 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 yeah. should be lauded. But you know, he he's he's absolutely. There are flaws in Brooke. There's no question about that. But uh, I think that is a I think that is a separate a separate conversation. But but he is a fascinating character. But I think I, I, the thing that strikes me so much is I think what would what would you know that those high level British generals and stuff you know what what they, they don't care so much about your background, but they do care about things like table manners. <laughs> knowing which fork to use and all this kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing that would just, that would prompt a sneer. It, ju- it just would. And the thing that's so remarkable about, about Eisenhower, despite his his comparatively humble upbringing, it, it's, it's what I touched on earlier on. It's, it's that innate, that totally instinctive way to just absorb how to behave in the right circles in the right and and say the right thing act in the right way it's it's absolutely instinctive with him and one of the reasons why he he's he's so fondly regarded by the i think by all the allied commanders is because he 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 is at ease in other people's company and he puts people at ease in his company and he's never overawed. He knows when to kind of show the deference and stuff, which he shows shows all the right deference to, to Churchill and stuff, but he's, he, he never allows himself to be pushed around. And, and, he, and he gets what he wants to get to with such assurance, you know, there's confidence, self-assurance and charm. And, and it's such a narrow ridge to walk that. Because you go too hard and you're seen a bit too aggressive and a bit too kind of, you know, a bit surly or whatever, a bit, bit difficult and cussed. On, on the other hand, you know, if you go too soft, then you're too much of a walkover. And he almost walks that perfect line. And, and it's just, again, I, I keep saying this word, but I think it's innate. It's just, it's just, he, he's obviously, he, he, he has that ability to just go, ah, okay, that's how to do it. That's how to be. That, that's how you get this. this. And I, I, he has had this incredibly interesting Career. It might be he might have been a desk waller for the 1920s and 1930s, but he has been around the block. You know, he he's caught the eye of of key people. He's been a you know he's been a global soldier in a, at a time of of isolation, which is interesting. I think. I mean, he's done that thing like you know he wrote the book, the official account of of the battlefields of of, of Flanders and and the Western Front. You know, so when it comes to kind of 1944, and suddenly he's in you know he's the he's the, the supreme Allied commander. Uh, for Overlord, etc., and, and and Northwest Europe, this is this is turf that he already knows. You know, he's he's been to the Tsarland and you know the Hearts Mountains and Flanders and and so on and Paris. You know, he's been there all before, so it's not like he's coming to it new. And I think all this stuff, it, 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 you know, he's 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 remarkable in where he's been in the 1920s and 1930s. And the lessons he seems to have just sort of absorbed by some kind of, sort of bizarre osmosis, he has an um, which puts him in a savvy. very, very unique social savvy. That, that's that's got that. the word, yeah. Every situation yeah, really you throw is. him into, he understands the right mood, the right 
people to talk to, how to go about it, and with a, not really in a conniving way. He has this yeah, yeah, incredible yeah. empathy, a human empathy um, for others and how to relate to them. But you know what? You know who is probably yeah. his biggest historical influence, and I think this is really overlooked about him. It's Ulysses Grant, um, because he had actually you know, read Grant's memoirs. He had studied his campaigns, just like, you know, when, when he had headed up a, you know, doing the ABMC world war one battlefield stuff. Uh, yeah, we should just say, student. John, for those, of those, those rare people who don't know who Ulysses S. Grant is, he, you know, he's, a, he's, he is, you know, arguably the greatest of the civil war generals, later, later president, um, a remarkable character and kind of merges in that kind of middle phase of the civil war. Doesn't he? As, they're, as the they're so similar. General. They're so incredibly similar. They're both from not exactly high-level backgrounds, although Grant's family was more well-off than Eisenhower. Uh, both had gone to West Point. Both really sort of pushed back against West Point's harsh discipline and whatnot. They didn't really care that much about, you know, getting the highest grade or whatever. But they, they had this kind of social savvy about them. Um, and of course, as commanders, I think they're they're remarkably similar of co- sort of a commander in chief kind of role um, and, and using attrition as sort of the key strategy. Um, I think Eisenhower is heavily influenced by that, by what Grant does in the Civil War. And then, of course, it's not an accident. Both become president because of those their, their war hero status. Yes. But the personality to understand the whole you know, political realm and, and whatever. And believe me, Grant is dealing with issues that, that are almost every bit as weighty as what Eisenhower is dealing with, uh, you know, from a U.S. in U.S. domestic affairs with reconstruction and all this. So um, Eisenhower was really quite influenced by that. And I, and I think that that sometimes is overlooked about him and his career. Later on, when he went to write uh, Crusade in Europe, which I, you know, I think maybe we'd all agree is, is a pretty strong book. Um, he actually went and reread Grant's famous memoirs, which is uh, just just a wonderful work of uh, of uh, military memoir. He went and reread them because he wanted to emulate them, and neither of them needed a ghostwriter. And I think that tells us something. We need to take a break right now. We'll see you in a tick. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. John, I mean, a, a question, people, because we've talked a lot about Eisenhower's, you know, diplomatic skills and roles and abilities and how the the, 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 the role that he occupied, you know, we've, we've been describing as a, as a diplomat, but what actual decisions was he making? Because cause is he, is he picking, picking decisions from 
from the people coming to him, pitching him how they sh- how things should be done. What decisions is he making when he's when he's supreme Allied commander? What's actually what's actually going over his desk apart from you know managing British expectations within within a campaign against American expectations and and then interfacing with the governments that who you know who who he's working for what you know what what's what's the what at what level is he is he involved in the nitty-gritty say of overlord oh he's making you know the ultimate sort of you know operational decisions about how overlord okay let's go but but i think think, that's the big one but that's the big one yeah, but that, that that's exactly my but that's that's sort of what I'm getting at is that we know he we know he does that, but that's you know, isn't that a that's like a chairman of a committee going, right, okay, chaps, let's all go forward together. Is he is he is he the fellow that says, um, I want hundred and first airborne doing that and eighty second airborne doing that? You you know what I mean? At what level is at what level is he making decisions? Well, y- yes, within- he is, because he, he is saying that because because Lee Mallory comes up to him, you know, just at the end of end of May and goes, "Oh, I'm really worried about this. I really don't think we should do it." All the rest of it. And he goes, "You know, I'm hearing you. I hear your concerns, but we're going with it, and you just need to yep. get used to it." That's a really obviously tough call. a lot more diplomatic than that. And and you know, he knows that. You know, he's making these these these, these tough calls. I mean, it is decision making, but it's but it's also bringing resolution to something. Yeah, you, you know, you're in a room. People have got, to, you know, you know. So, so let's 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 take, you know, transportation plan versus the oil plan, for example. You know, he 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 makes the call that the transportation plan has to take the priority to begin with. Then the transportation plan and the oil plan. And so, so for those who don't know, that the, there is a there is a debate in in middle of April. What should you do? Should you should you be focusing on trying to destroy? Nazi Germany's ability to kind of get oil to anywhere, whether whether it's real oil from Plesti in Romania or whether it's synthetic fuel in various synthetic fuel plants. Yeah. Do you focus on all those, on these plants, so that you, you literally grind the German army to a halt because it hasn't got any oil? Or do you hit the railway lines and the marshalling yards and the bridges and all the rest of it? And he ultimately makes that call. You know, yeah. th- th- this is a kind of loggerhead, strategic, air-powered decision discussion and spots is very keen on the oil plan tedder is very keen on the who is his deputy after eisenhower's deputy after all is very keen on the transportation plan and actually what he does is he he, he realizes that the two are are not mutually incompatible at all um but actually you need to focus on the transportation plan first and then you need to continue it throughout the summer of 1944 but also direct a whole lot of effort to the oil plan but he he's the one who kind of wades through that treacle and comes up with a solution you know and that is absolutely him and he's not an airman you know he's a, he's a you know he's an army army commander so and there's there's plenty more decisions where he where he's making these calls you know so so i think he is making decisions but obviously the higher up the chain the fewer decisions you make but the decisions you do make are tougher and which is why you're right but the reason you know, i ask is because he's always he's portrayed as this diplomat soldier rather than you know that when he's weighed up in the sort of pantheon of people in the Second World War, it's the idea that he's the the consummate diplomat, but actually he is making these these proper. I think he's a much bigger he's a much bigger person than that. He's he's it's it's a great compliment to say that he to him that that he is this great diplomat and he's remembered for his his diplomacy because as we all know diplomacy can be incredibly difficult mm. um uh, whether it's on a kind of micro familial level friendship yeah. level or whether it's the board or whether it's something really major it's incredibly difficult to to to, to plow the right furrow on that one but it's also underselling him because he's so much more than that i, I mean i i really i just can't have too much praise for him i i think he's a absolutely brilliant brilliant commander and you know you can be a bit nitpicky you know he's a bit hard on 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 patch and divas you know he doesn't give kind of you know six army group quite enough attention um he's a bit swayed sometimes by by monty um but again i think that's also a bit harsh because i think even with his dealings with monty you know he's again you know he he uniquely compared to kind of you know other american commanders understands that what what, what the end goal for the united states is but also that Britain needs to kind of, you know, Britain's got by 1944 has got manpower issues that 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 has been in it since 1939, etc. And all that is taken into, you know, he he's weighing all that up when he's coming down and making a judgment. Mm. And, and and 
these are incredibly hard decisions. I mean, do you think, I, I think that's fair, don't you, John? Oh, yeah. When, when, and in relation to the transportation plan, this is really difficult on two levels. One, um, you know, is controlling the, the air assets, which the airmen don't like at all. Uh, they don't want to give up that that control. They don't necessarily, as you said, with spots, want to redirect toward this, uh, you know, hitting the French rail network and all that. They want to go ahead with their strategic bombing with the oil plan and whatever else. And Eisenhower basically has to threaten to resign, um, you know, over this to, to get enough attention to do this. Second is the, the social consequence of this, of how many uh, French and Belgian civilians are going to be killed as a result of that bombing campaign. Um, that's a really tough call uh, to, to make on a lot of levels of what that's going to mean. And I, and I think I think we tend to, to, to forget that, especially I think Americans do, especially like the price paid by the, say the French for their own liberation under the the Allied bombs and eventually you know well and indeed the Italians country yeah. yeah yeah I mean right exactly and and uh, so I think Eisenhower has to to weigh those tough decisions and then of course the doozy whether to go or not when he's worried about the storm you know June fourth fifth nineteen forty four and I like to make the point. Here he is at the moment when he's presented with all the evidence and has to ultimately make the call. He is arguably the most powerful man in the history of the world uh, in terms of the military power at his disposal. And then when he makes the call, okay, we'll go. Now, weirdly, the power is sort of out of his hands then. This, this, This great military machine is going forward and he's no longer really the guy controlling it's up to all the other subordinates especially the young junior officers and ncos to make this happen uh, i just think that's such a fascinating it's, it's, a, it's a decision of of absolutely the highest moral courage you, you you because weather forecasting at that time is 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 so it's just not like today it's it's so much more difficult and there is absolutely no question that that he lucked out with that decision you know that that little ridge of high pressure which came in and fell on 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 them just at the right time in the middle of the morning on the sixth of June might not have done. It might have got swallowed up and just disappeared off over to Denmark or something. You know that that really could have easily. I remember talking to um, a meteorologist about this, um, and he thinks actually they would have been better to just crack on on the fifth as they were as they were planning and just delay the British airborne operation by a couple of hours. You know, but but you know that's that's as maybe. But to ma- you know, but but what he recognised was that a call had to be made. You know, someone's got to make. You know, it's it's it, it, it's literally flicking a coin, but you got to do it. And the fact that he writes, a, you know, a a, a a a failure speech and a and a kind of you know we've succeeded speech is remarkable. And and just imagine the weight on his shoulders at that moment in the morning. You know, everyone's looking at him. That you know, he's in that room. The weathermen are looking at him. Ted is looking at him. You know, Montgomery's looking at him. Bradley's looking at him. I think Bradley was there at the time. Uh, you know, they're all they're all there, and, and Ramsey and, and what have you, and, and they're all looking it's at him. Uh, yeah, Beatles, Smith, and yeah. you know, everyone's just looking at him. Uh, and the fate of hundreds of thousands of men, lives, and indeed civilians, ultimately, well, is in his fingers. And the future trips. of the world. Uh, and he's got the, the future of the world. The world. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And he's got to make that call. And he knows he's got to make that call, and he doesn't fuss around, and he doesn't make it. He doesn't make a big thing. He doesn't sit there going, "Oh God, what should I do?" Sort of biting his nails and sort of pacing up and down, and going, "You know, can you all leave me for a few minutes? I just need to kind of walk up and down outside." He just says, "We're going to go." Wow, what a what! I mean, exactly. it's, it's incredible. And I remember sitting in exactly the same spot in Suffolk House where he where he made that call in the in the library, and you know it was. A, it was it was an incredible moment because you you just had this little whiff of that pressure just sort of sat there thinking about what he was doing, making that call. Uh, and it pays off. But it, it's the, the point I'm trying to make is it's it's not that ultimately he he turned out to make he, he it turned out in his favor and that he made the right call. It's that it's he had the to fact make that, that he call. made the call. Yeah. And he had yeah. to make that call and he did it. And he did it, you know, facing the firing squad. Well, and then he made it at the right time, that he didn't just decide a day or so earlier, all right, well, the heck with this. He waited, he got all the evidence he could, and he, you know, uh, waited on his decision as long as he could, And but then he knew, this is the time I got to make the call. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there's a great deal of moral courage there in in that making that call apart from smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. How did he cope with <laughs> the, how did he cope with the pressure? What what was what was you Eisenhower's 
Sorry? Game westerns, exactly. He read westerns and played golf. Yeah, he well, the the golf wasn't as big at this point in his life. The golf when his, during his presidency was a very big way that he dealt. Yeah, with but that. Telegraph Cottage, Telegraph Cottage was next to the golf course, wasn't it? So right, he could right. go and have a couple. You know, you know but, but the westerns of- especially. He had piles of these westerns that he novels, you know, that that he mm. would read. Mm. Um, that was a good diversion for him. And coffee too, a heck of a lot of coffee. Um, bridge. He was a he was an avid bridge player, um, and he, he had these kind of informal relationships, like Jim had mentioned. Butcher, um, yeah. Butcher is very essential to Eisenhower during the war, as just a kind of friend and confidant, someone to kind of just hang out with. Yeah, because it's a very lonely job that he's got, and of course, Summersby too, famously, of course, and I mean, this yeah, is Kay Summersby, his driver. He's an Eng- he's the English driver. Yeah, yeah and you know, I. I have my doubts about whether there was any kind of real, you know, romantic relationship there. I don't think yeah, that's really think ever been. I don't think proven. it was. I think that's just uh, salacious nonsense. Yeah, it's a lot of salaciousness. It's it's her claims later in life that aren't really backed up by much of what you can corroborate at the time. Who knows? But hmm. I don't think there's any question that she was helpful to him at a, at that kind of emotional human level. Yeah. Um, yeah. The morale level. He needed to keep his morale up like any private soldier. And I, so I think that that did help that informality because he was a kind of an informal person in some ways. But I also think too, um, he kept in close touch with Mamie, and and I think that yeah, he does. He writes a lot. I mean, him. also I think he's got so many distractions, hasn't he? He's, he's got you know he's having to work incredibly hard. I mean, I'm, I'm sure John, you've got those the collection of the Eisenhower papers, you know, volume one to six or whatever it is, you know, those sort of gray gray volumes that which have all his papers in and the, all the, all the yeah. missives and stuff it's incredible because on any given day he could be writing a long um letter to you know george Caitlin marshall he could be writing a letter to his son he could be writing a letter to mamie then he's answering eisenhower then he's writing to spots then he's you know it's just so it goes on i, I mean it's just it's well, absolute. A, then he's writing to robert murphy you know it just goes on excellent and on writer. And on. i mean it's incredible he's an excellent yeah, he really writer is. and communicator and I think that's a big part of his success too. And that's, as I was saying with Grant, or that's the parallel. Yeah, uh, they were very clear in the way they wrote, in the way they spoke, in how they dealt with uh, with orders and subordinates and and whatever else. They were they had the knack of of speaking very clearly without being brusque, because we can all speak clearly. Go do this, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, sit down. You know what? But but that can be very rude, right? So Eisenhower had that ability to use the language in a beautiful way, both written and spoken, that was quite effective with being very clear, but without um, forging into rudeness, I guess. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. And yeah, so it, was I think a great, that- it was a great line I came across the other day where, by Harold Macmillan, who was a sort of resident, uh, British resident minister in the kind of, um, in the Mediterranean. And he was, and he was complimenting Eisenhower. And he was saying that one of the things he does is he says, said, you know, he always listens he listens very intently, takes on board what you're saying, and then makes a decision. And whatever the decision it makes, it's 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 the decision he it's the best decision he he can possibly make, having weighed up everything thoughtfully first. You know, and it's it's. I, I wish I could had the the precise words to my hands, but I don't. But but it 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 was such a brilliant description of Eisenhower and and his unique skills, I suppose, really. I, I just think that. he's. I think he's absolutely incredible. I think he, he's a really, really remarkable man. And I think, I think the Allies were so lucky to have Churchill. I think they were so lucky to have Roosevelt. Um, I think they're incredibly lucky to have to have Eisenhower, who just emerges at the right time. And like all the best guys who who get to the very top, he has that again. He has that ability to sense when you need to step up. And actually, this is something I think Alexander had. This sort of, you know instinctive understanding that that once you become an army group commander you act in a different way that once you once you're supreme allied commander you're different from when you're just coming over as a representative of the US army in 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 Britain trying to organize the troops you know that you 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 need to it requires different skills and a different approach and 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 you need to step up and i think one of the things that you see with some of the lesser generals and i think monty you can include this and and and, and Patton to a certain extent and people like rommel is Quite often you see them kind of stuck at a certain rank, and, and although they they might be elevated to field marshal or whatever, I mean in the case of Rommel, Rommel got elevated to, to field marshal, but he probably never really shouldn't have ever really got beyond a sort of corps commander, probably. Um, but Eisenhower absolutely gets it, and, and, and 
by the end of the war, despite having arrived in Britain in June 1942 as just the main man trying to organise American forces in Britain at the time, which was still pretty embryonic, let's, let's, let's be clear. By the end of the war, he is this towering figure. He's one of the most famous people in the planet. You know, he is the victor. He's the supreme Allied commander that has defeated Nazi Germany in the West. And the only glitch is really before he becomes Supreme Allied Commander in Tunisia, really, isn't it? I mean, that's the only time where he he he, he just gets a bit caught short when he's he, he's the overall commander in Tunisia and it's not quite working out. Then there's the Casablanca Conference and it's kind of either do you sack Eisenhower or do you bump him up to Supreme Allied Commander and bring Alexander in as Army Group Commander? And he survives that that moment, that, that slight little shimmy and that's the only time. And I think, you know, extenuating circumstances, and actually I don't think you can blame him too much for what happens in Tunisia at all, actually. But but he survives that little kind of, that, that little glitch. And from then on, it's absolutely seamless, even through to kind of having to severely reprimand his old friend, George Patton, after Sicily. You know, Sicily's been this great occasion. You know, he uh, Patton's then slapped those two soldiers. You know, he's completely tough of him, isn't he? I mean, there's no suggestion that he he's he's letting him off the hook. Yeah, and he does it again and again in the course of the war. And, you know, he understands, Eisenhower does, I think, that he's not going to make everybody happy, especially George Patton. Uh, and he, I think he knows about the, the sniping. And he's cool with that, isn't he? And, yeah, he's just like, okay, well, this is he's he's got the bigger picture in mind. And so, you know, there's all sorts of, of Yanks grumbling uh, about how oh, Ike is so, you know, knocked over by the British and he's way too influenced. And of course, Patton is the leader of that crew constantly mm-hmm. saying that. Um, and I think, I don't think they quite get again, that bigger picture that this is a coalition, no, this is an alliance and you've got to think behind. But I think also I say in my view, Eisenhower is very firm about us interests too. And uh, you know, nowhere do you see that more than at the end of the war when he decides not to go for Berlin, um, which for which he's criticized at the time and during the cold war, that this is somehow a massive error. Um, well, you know who you know who's really going to do most of the fighting to take Berlin. Uh, if we're going to do that, it's going to be U.S. Army soldiers, and there's going to be a lot of U.S. casualties to take ground that we're going to have to give up again because of the Alta agreements. Okay, so I think Eisenhower gets that. Uh, you know, at a time when I think Churchill certainly would have been pushing him to go for Berlin, and you know, for post-war reasons. Um, so I think Eisenhower really understands when and how to make the, the sort of the tougher calls. The other thing too, he's got a kind of test of character. There's two things that happen during World War II that I think are really an insight into his character. He probably could have gotten the Medal of Honor for North Africa once it all works out. Um, had he really wanted, I think that it, Marshall could have made that happen for him. He wanted nothing to do with that. Uh, he felt the Medal of Honor was only for those who had had acts of valor in combat. Um, and when he when he go, when he was at the uh, War Plans Division before deploying to Europe, um, President Quezon from the Philippines, who had gotten out with MacArthur in 1942, offered him a substantial amount of money as a kind of a bonus, a payoff for Ike's uh, service in the Philippines. He would not accept that money. He didn't feel it was appropriate. His his mentor MacArthur uh, accepted both, uh, you know, a Medal of Honor <laughs> and <laughs> and the a, cash, a substantial amount of money, <laughs> half a million dollars of money from the Philippines Treasury, um, which which I personally don't think was appropriate, and Eisenhower didn't at the time. I think that's very meaningful. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I he's a great man. He's a great man. There's absolutely no question about it. He's he's really he's absolutely top psych. It really is, and 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 if anyone um, hasn't read um, my three years with with Eisenhower um, by Harry Butcher, it's 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 really worth trying to get. I don't think it's in print anymore, but it's but you, you can get it on the kind of ABE. Oh, you can find it any use, whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, totally, yeah, yeah. Totally and it, it, it. It's it's absolutely fantastic, and you see this transformation as well. You see this this sort of guy who's sort of taking things in his stride, everything that's sort of flung at him in the summer of 1942 when he first gets over to Britain to then emerging as this absolutely, this towering figure who can say, okay, let's go, but also can make these incredibly tough decisions in the kind of final months of the war. It's just fabulous. And it gives him, it gives you such an insight into his character 
um, and and his development as a as a person and as a you know a, you know rightly one of the one of the great Allied commanders of the Second World War, if not the whole twentieth century. Yeah, and I think Crusade in Europe is worth reading too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with yeah. that. It's it's, it's very good. He, I just he's just very kind of even handed, isn't he? He's kind of he is, and he doesn't blow his own trumpet. He's he's you know it's, he's a remarkable character. And actually, it's just a sort of you know it's been interesting talking about him for this last you know best part of an hour because sometimes you just kind of need to articulate the stuff and kind of think this through. And 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 talking to you two about this, talking to to you, Alan and and John about Eisenhower. It's kind of just actually confirming kind of things that have been sort of a bit kind of in the back of my mind. It's sort of brought them back to the fore a bit. You know, I'm just sort of thinking about Eisenhower as we're talking. And, I, I, you know, I'm kind of feeling even more in awe of him, really. Well, that's because it's easy to take him for granted, isn't it? Yeah, it's I like, think that's I think that's it, because he's just there, because yeah. he just is. He's just there, and we know... And because he looks a bit like Elmer Fudd. And it, well, because he, <laughs> does, because he does his role so well. It, it It's that, it, again, it's that thing of... That the the things that work out as, as somehow disappear, don't they? It's the points of drama and calamity that the eyes. Yeah, the, the it's eyes, the two day battle that takes ten days that we all remember, not the one that exactly they roll over the enemy in twenty four hours. Exactly, exactly. Like a referee, you know, a good referee in a game, you don't you don't even notice them. Yeah, it's like yeah. that sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's a very that's a very good analogy. <laughs> um, and, and I mean. Do you think his move into politics is 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 an inevitability at the end of the war, John, or is it is it you know does he take persuading because because after all, if if Grant is his if is is his sort of putative mentor, his role model, then you can see why presidential ambition might come into it. But is is it at the end of the war are people thinking, well, you know, obviously the next step for Eisenhower is president, or is it is that a, a a sort of more a later development. It, I mean, people are thinking that at the time, but in the case of both Eisenhower and Grant, they needed persuading and they needed time and they needed events. Yeah. Um, because, you know, there's an interesting conversation that happens with Truman shortly after the war, Truman and Eisenhower, in which Truman offers to step aside as the Democratic nominee in 1948 if Ike wants to do that. And Ike wants no part of that conversation that right. point in time of course he becomes chief of staff of the army you know at, at the end of the war and for a couple of years and leaves the army and all that so no i think eisenhower really has to kind of uh, you know move toward the whole political thing even though he's very good at it and he's kind of involved in it in a distant way yeah uh it's events events of the cold war yeah. um you know the korean war of course and of course the the advent of nato uh, I mean, it's totally natural that he becomes the NATO commander. I think we tend to forget that he's the first yeah. NATO commander, and there's it's it's the exact job that he had before. It's just now called NATO in yeah. a way, and now for a different purpose. Uh, so too Grant in the aftermath of the Civil War, the mess that is Reconstruction uh, and and race relations at that point, and also Western expansion, all that too. These were problems that uh, had had move Grant toward politics in that sense, too. So, again, Eisenhower kind of took his cue from the way Grant had behaved in the aftermath of the Civil War. But but he's, but he's the interesting thing, Eisenhower was still temporizing as of 1952, the early months of 1952. He was still vacillating whether to, to run for president until almost the last moment when he was running out of time to enter primaries. And he finally decides to do it. I think March 1952. That's absurdly mm. late by today's presidential campaign yeah. standards when you're basically running the second the previous election is done, if not like from the cradle forward, maybe. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. So um, very different era in that time. Mm. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a fascinating man because because. Because, as we said a moment ago, you know he's the good referee, isn't he? It's it's a he is. A, but the switch to a political role is, you know, then he's it, there's less diplomacy in that, isn't there? In in effect, you, he has to pick a side, doesn't he? I suppose, and become eventually, a, if, yeah, of course, almost. reluctantly and eventually, because <laughs> that's the other the other the other way of sort of characterising his presidency, anyway, isn't it? Is that it's is is it is he may be a he may well be a Republican, but he's it, it's he's Obviously, he chimes with the time rather than, uh, uh, rather than perhaps pushes it. Uh, well, yeah, and he Ike understands leverage, I think, really yeah. well. Um, that he has the leverage to re threaten to resign 
over control of the air resources in the spring of 1944. He knows he's going to win that battle. So too, when he's elected uh, president and the Republican party doesn't want to expand social security benefits and Eisenhower does, Eisenhower says, all right, you know, if you guys keep pushing me on this, I'm just going to leave the Republican party. Yeah. Um, And he knows that he's stronger than the Republican party at that point in time. And they need him more than he needs them. Yeah. Um, You know, and so he will have a sort of socially moderate, presidency um but also managing the cold war too obviously yeah. which is a completely different animal but um yeah i think i think so i think by then by by the time he's president he's such a a keen in tune political animal without a, in, in the best way that not, not yeah. the worst way we associate now yeah because he has a core moral center and that obviously that matters on a lot of levels yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, he's fundamentally a good man, isn't he? He is. Yeah, and I think I think that's one of the reasons why people relate to him as they do. Hmm. That he seems to have a fundamental goodness or decency about him, with plenty of warts, of course, like anybody. But um, it's the empathy. I come back to that word. I think Eisenhower had an exceptional hmm. empathy for uh, for other people. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, and you can see that, can't you, when he's having those conversations with the 101st Airborne guys just on D. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you just see he's got he's got that kind of common touch, hasn't he? And yeah, yeah, yeah. it was interesting. We talked to Susan Eisenhower John at uh, Christmas, and yeah. you know she remembers him very fondly. And and yep. you know, um, Christmases at the at the Eisenhower farm at Gettysburg and all the rest of it. And she said he was just he, you know he was absolutely lovely. You know, gave yeah. lots of attention and time, and was charming and delightful and everything a grandfather should be. You know, which was incredibly. You know, didn't find him sort of you know gruff and and intimidating at all. You know, yeah. which is exactly what you wanted to hear yeah she was very she was very very interesting her book's fascinating yeah book's fascinating yeah yeah yeah. a lot of insights there he's he's almost such a big figure that it feels it feels i I can't think of the right word like superfluous to talk about him even right because 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 as you said he's the he's the great referee but i think it that america produces a guy that can do this from all the from all the potential candidates is remarkable in itself i don't i actually i mean jim you'd probably say alex would have been able to perform this role um but but that's because you're an alex stan and uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't um, know i don't even Mark know that Clark. alex i don't think alex would have done it as well as well as ike i i just think ike was absolutely the perfect person to do yeah. that job yeah and and i think yeah, he, he did it just incredibly well incredibly well and the structure was intelligent too the committee because he's got a british deputy uh who is a very sharp guy and then the the three commanders air land and sea are all british yeah that's a smart structure alex the 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 uphill battle he would have had is all that pushback from the american side of saying hey guys you know we're contributing all this manpower financial power and all that. the american people don't like the idea of british yeah. commander i don't know how good you are i don't care how good you are terrible whatever we yeah. won't accept that there yep. would have been a lot of parochialism yep. on the other side yeah, over yeah. that i think yeah I, no I, he was he he, he was the right he was the right man for the job yeah. he just was he yeah. just was well well thanks very much john thanks jim that was that was fascinating um thanks everyone for yeah, listening really interesting we hope we hope um that's an, a, a good enough Ike fix for you. I expect we'll end up coming back to it. It's oh, we always, will. It's what always yeah. happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, uh, we'll see you all again very soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. See ya. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. 
He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? Well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts.